But hey, it is really good to be with you guys this morning. I um, I always love the opportunity to get to speak. It's still it's still weird for me because, I mean, I've spoken like the last three years, I guess. I've been a pastor the last three years. But I still get very nervous because of the weight that it requires to bring a word and in a message that where I have to think about everyone in this room and try to put something together to where hopefully it'll hit everyone because I never want to just pre- preach a message that's just going to hit one person. And so I'm not to say that it's a bad nerve. I, I think it's actually something that I, I, I hope Lungs and Kristen probably still get nervous. It's because you're carrying a weight of the word of God that is supposed to be held in glory. It's supposed to be held in honor. And so this morning when we were in the back, and again, I, I read that verse in 1 Corinthians for that's the power of your name. And then I just began to think about the power of the word of God. And in, in this series that we're doing, the Wisdom and Insight series, um, the one thing I want us to remember is that it, it's not just a, a series that is teaching us um, about wisdom and insight, but it's actually a, a, a series for us that is actually allowing wisdom and insight to address something in our life. Because I think a lot of time we can think we just need to learn wisdom. If I can be more wise, if I can, if I can uh, gain more insight into a situation or into my job, I'll, I'll be better off for that. But I think the beautiful thing about this series and what it's really done over the last six weeks, I don't know about you, but every single time Lungs or Kristen has spoke on it, I've stepped back and realized, oh man, maybe I do have an issue with pride. Or, or maybe I do have an issue with uh, uh, a disappointment like she talked about last week or whatever we've gone through the last six weeks. I've really allowed this idea of wisdom and insight to address something in my life. And again, I think we still have four more. I mean, how many topics are we doing, Lungs? Who knows? I know we at least have like four more topics we got to go through. And so maybe if you haven't allowed yourself to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and let wisdom and insight address something in your life, I hope today and where I'm going, because I feel like my message is a little bit unorthodox. I'm going to bring the main point at the very end. It's going to be around minute 30. I'm just letting you know. Uh, it's going to take me 30 minutes to get there, but it's for a reason because I think a lot of times we just want the insight. We just want the wisdom instantly. We just want it to be given to us so we can have the right answer. We can have the right direction. We can have uh, the right place we're supposed to go or the right uh, uh, thing that I need to have. But I think what this series has taught me and what I hope to impart to everyone today, and again, I'm preaching to myself and I will always say this. I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to you, and I'm glad I got this topic because I didn't realize how much I needed to actually allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate myself in this area. And again, this whole series has really revealed a lot in my own personal life, in my own walk with God, in my own walk with other people. And even just as a follower of Christ, I've realized, man, there's moments and there's things that the Holy Spirit has spoken to me and I've pushed away because I thought I could just beat it on my own. And again, these aren't sometimes big topics or there's sometimes like disappointment, for example, what Kristen talked about it was so well last week. And I'm glad she spoke on it last week because, again, it's going to help with our topic today. But you can think, man, it's just really easy to get over disappointment if I can do it on my own because I know what to do. But again, wisdom and insight, what she was teaching us last week, teaches me to address the disappointment in my life. And it might not just be in that moment, but it might be disappointment from 10 years ago that you've never addressed. And you just begin to shove it down. You just begin to push it under the rug like probably most of us Americans do. It's very easy just to put things under the rug and move on with life and keep working hard and press on because that's the American dream. But what I've realized in this moment 
And what I've realized throughout the series and as preparing for this message is, oh my gosh, the garbage I need to bring out of my life, the junk that has been stored up in my life, it's not a bad thing, but it's actually allowing the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does, which is reveal the truth of God in your life and actually pull things out that you might not see. Because you might see uh, this idea of wisdom and insight. You might see pride or you might see disappointment or you might see uh, the, the topic of money that we talked about. You might see all these things and be like, ah, I can, I can do that on my own. I'll just watch that Instagram or that TikTok video that will teach me how to do this in 30 seconds. I don't, I don't need to. <laughs> I'm not hating on TikTok and Instagram. No, I, I love it all. I don't have TikTok because I know the government's watching. But I'm not a conspiracy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> can I just say I, they're already watching, so it don't matter. Have you? Yeah, never mind. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I need to move on. I need to move on. <laughs> but the, uh, the topic I get the honor of preaching on this morning is that wisdom and insight teach me to address cynicism. Wisdom and insight teach me to address cynicism. And I remember when Lungs gave me this topic, I was like, why you got to give me the hardest topic to preach on, Doc? Why you got to give me the hardest topic to preach on? Because I, I honestly, it didn't... In, didn't even think, I, I don't use the word cynical a lot. I don't feel like most people use, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just have a bad vocabulary. Probably that. Probably that's what it is. But I feel like not a lot of times people talk about cynicism because uh, it, it has a negative context. And I, I, don't, I think like pride we can sometimes get over, disappointment, like if we're in the right mood, we can talk about like materialism. We can talk about like cynicism though. It's like, no, we'll use the word skepticism. Like we'll go with that word because it sounds a little bit a little bit better, but cynicism. Wisdom and insight teaches me to address cynicism. But again, I just wanted to give us uh, a little bit more insight into this idea of wisdom and heavenly wisdom. We've gone through Proverbs. We've gone through the Old Testament idea of wisdom. But James, if you guys have ever read the book of James, the, the letter James wrote, it's actually the New Testament Proverbs. Uh, that's kind of the theme of the book of James. And I love in James 3, verse 14, it's going to come up on the screens, but it says, and it gives us an idea into the New Testament perspective of wisdom. Uh, you can put it on the screen, Sebastian. Uh, James 3, 14 to 18, it says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that is from heaven, is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, we have two different types of wisdom that James is talking about. We have wisdom that is from the earth. We have wisdom that is unspiritual, it is demonic, it is earthly. It is something that pushes selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. And again, I love that verse that earthly wisdom produces that in someone. And again, when you look at the definition of cynicism, it is this whole idea of selfish ambition, this idea of jealousy, and we'll get into it more, but I just wanted to set us up well to make sure we have a foundation of the two different types of wisdom, because again, I think a lot of times we can think the wisdom we're getting is heavenly, but it's actually earthly. But what does it say about the wisdom that is from above? Wisdom that is from above, the so wisdom that is given by the Holy Spirit is peaceable. It is gentle. It is open to reason. It is full of mercy. 
You just think about the characteristics of God. You think about the characteristics of Jesus. That is exactly what it describes. And so if we're going to live and be uh, taught and to address things with wisdom, shouldn't we address it through the, through the sight of Jesus? Shouldn't we address it through a sight of peace, through a sight of mercy? Because I think a lot of times we think wisdom that is given to us, it might be, it might be harsh, it might sound a little difficult, it might sound uh, uh, um, a little bit difficult to hear and you, you might not want to accept it. But again, wisdom that comes from above, it doesn't say anything like that. It says it is full of mercy. It is good fruits, it is impartial, and it's sincere. And through it all, the righteousness of this wisdom is sown in peace by those who make peace. So when you're getting heavenly wisdom, it is not someone that is trying to cause a scene in your life. I think that's the first thing you can look for if someone's trying to give you wisdom. If the wisdom they're giving you is going to stir things up and make it dirty water and murky water, it's probably not heavenly wisdom. Because if Jesus was to be here, or if Jesus was to be in that conversation you were having with that person that was giving you wisdom, I think it might go a little bit different. Because the wisdom that is from, from above is it's perfect, it's peaceable, it's full of mercy. And what does that mean, full of mercy? That means there's grace that abounds. That it's not looking down at you on your situation. It's not looking down and the thing you can't figure out and judging you for it. But no, it's giving you the right steps, the right insight. That's why I love it's wisdom and insight as well. Because wisdom might give you the right direction, but insight gives you the, the full view into the picture and where you're supposed to go. So it's wisdom and insight teach me to address cynicism. And again, one of the things I just want to go real quick. I think a lot of churches, and I've been a part of four churches in my life, and I know probably a lot of us in this room have been a part of churches, and I think a lot of times what these 35 minutes on the stage can turn into is a 35-minute encouraging TED Talk. I'm not trying to speak bad on other churches, hear me. But what I think a lot of it can turn into is the pastor or the church don't want to turn people away. They don't want to touch topics that might be difficult to speak on. And so what will happen is it'll turn into a 35-minute TED Talk that'll make you feel good enough to make it the next six days, and then I hope you can come back next Sunday and give you another word. And then you'll make it another six days, and it's just like giving you little doses of medicine. But again, what we've done as a church already, and I love that Lungs and Kristen have wanted to do this uh, type of series, is that we're actually diving into the Word of God. Have you noticed how many passages we've gone through in the last? I'm the one that makes the, the slides. And so when Lung sends me his scriptures, I'm like, dear Lord, I'm going to spend three hours making all these slides. But then I, again, I began to think about it and how great it is that we're a church that doesn't neglect the word of God. That our message isn't more me preaching, but it's actually more me preaching about the word of God. Because the more we focus on the word of God, the more it actually allows us to go into wisdom and insight. Because if we want wisdom and insight into our life from God, we've got to read the words of God himself. Because, yes, lungs can give us great wisdom. I'll try to impart wisdom. Kristen will give us wisdom. And there's things we can impart to each other. But the greatest wisdom we will have is from the word of God itself. The greatest thing we can ever do on the stage, if, if you ever get the opportunity to preach the word, is to preach his word. That's what we hold. That, that's what we behold is the word of God in him, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and so actually allowing the Holy Spirit to guide these services rather than just giving you a quick TED Talk to make sure that I can just give you enough, but I want you to come back 
uh, next week really bad to hear me speak again on the stage. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a dose to make you hear a week. But then maybe you're that person that gets sick or, or you get taken away from church for a while because you have work or something comes up. And then you, you miss two weeks, you miss three weeks, you miss four weeks. And then, uh, you know, you don't know how to read your Bible. You're not creating that habit. And so you're actually not getting anything from the word of God. And then what happens? You slowly start depleting. You slowly start missing out on the wisdom and insight that the Holy Spirit can guide in your life. And then topics like this happen in your life. You get disappointment in your life like Kristen talked about. And you actually don't know how to address it, so you shove it back down to the place where you've shoved everything else. You begin to push the materialism to the side and you begin to fall deeper and deeper into debt. Or you begin to get more and more prideful because you think you can handle it on your own. But that's what this series is presenting. It's actually saying, hey, the word of God is very important in our life. And just like James talked about, we have two different types of wisdom. And the wisdom I hope that we as a community can live by is the wisdom that is from above and not the wisdom from below. And so this whole uh, idea of cynicism, again, I, I didn't think I had a problem with being cynical. Then again, I prayed and I allowed the Holy Spirit to minister to me. And, and I began to think about, and it goes back to when I was 18 years old. And again, I, I think I'm really good at shoving things to the corner. So I thought, you know, I, I'm a pastor and I, I read my Bible every day, so no way I can be cynical, right? And I go back to when I was 18, I had just graduated high school, and I had an opportunity to intern at my youth ministry, and um, in the first six months, we had lost our youth pastor, and one of the other youth pastors stepped in, and then six months later, he left, and so within my first year of interning at this church and youth ministry, we had two youth pastors leaving a whole new youth pastor come in, so as an 18, 19-year-old, I got handed a lot of responsibility. And I got handed, uh, so I started speaking really young. I had one of the bigger tribes in our youth group, and I was starting to do things for our summer camp because our youth pastor's wife got sick and was in the hospital. So me and my friend Nick, uh, we ended up running summer camp with like three, 400 kids, and we were 18, 19 years old. We didn't know what we were doing, but we did it anyways. And then I, or I, I did two years at this youth ministry, and I moved to Bible college at 20 years old, and I get out there, and I think I'm going to be this hot shot uh, American that's going to go out and preach every single week. I thought I deserved to be the best team leader. I thought I was going to get everything I wanted. Longs and Kristen can attest, this is probably most students that go out to the college we went to. And Crystal, I forgot you were there too. And so I get out to this place and I think I deserve everything. And I remember that my first week, I signed up for the, the, the ministries I wanted to serve in because we had to serve in uh, three areas on three services on Sunday. We had to serve in a midweek service, and we also had to serve in college. And so I had signed up for all these things I thought I deserved, youth ministry, uh, definitely not uh, the chair team, uh, definitely not Comma Cafe, definitely, definitely not Powerhouse because I didn't want to do young adults. <laughs> but let me get there. Let me get there. So I, I get my... My assignment, I get the places I'm going to serve in. Again, I thought I, I, I had already been preaching. I had already led a summer camp. I had already been up involved in a, a youth conference that was 3,000 students. I had done all these great things. And I get my assignment. And my midweek for college was the chairs team. And the chairs team, let me explain the chairs team. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus, the chairs team. We had six, 700 students probably in the campus I was at. And we had to show up early every morning to set up the classrooms because we didn't have our own college. We shared like the kids' rooms and the auditorium and like different areas. And so we had to set up all the chairs. Then chapels three times a week. We had to set up all the chairs. And then at the end of the day, we had to tear the chairs down. 
So not only was I doing a full five days of school every day of the week, but I was also showing up early to set up chairs, tearing down, uh, staying after school to tear down chairs. And, and then my weekend service, again, I thought it was going to be like being with people, encouraging people, praying with people. No, I get put on the flipping cafe team, making <laughs> coffees. And I have to not be at the campus I live close to, but I have to go to the campus a few miles away. So I have to Uber every Sunday morning at like 6 a.m. to get there to make coffee for the worship team and set it all up. And dear Lord, it was miserable as I was spending money on Uber every Sunday morning that I didn't have because I didn't have a job. And then again, I thought I was going to be this hotshot youth pastor. So of course I got to serve in the youth ministry, right? No, I get assigned to young adult ministry. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And everyone tells me, everyone tells me, no, you don't want to be involved in powerhouse. They're a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> Them pastors are weirdos over there. It was at the beginning. <laughs> but again, in hindsight, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. But can, I, can I tell you in that moment how cynical I became? Because I thought I was going to get what I deserved. I thought I was going to be leading these great ways. I thought I was going to be speaking and learning to communicate from some of these great pastors. And I get placed in all these difficult areas. So then what did my, mind, my mindset shifted? Disappointment started to take full control of my life. And I was so upset about spending thousands of dollars to move 18-hour flight away in another hemisphere, away from my girlfriend, away from my family, away from a church that was giving me opportunity to go serve at a place that I didn't think even cared about. So now instead of my mindset being one of faith and my mindset being one of willing to serve or excited to serve or uh, excited to learn, now everything I saw around me was that of being cynical. I began to look at other people that were offering to help, and I would think, oh, no, no, they're just doing that because they want an opportunity. And when someone would offer to help me to do something, I just said, no, 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 they're just trying to work their way up. They want to get noticed. Or when someone would stay after class and talk to a teacher, uh, they're probably just doing that because they want to get a better grade, or they just want to, uh, you know, they want to speak to our principal because they want to be able to speak at chapel. My whole mindset shifted. I would show up on uh, on Friday nights, and I remember the first thing I got assigned to before I started doing social media for Lungs and Kristen was the setup team. And again, because I was the new guy, they put me on the bus. Like, I had to load up the van because we didn't, it was kind of a bump in, bump out young adult ministry at the beginning, at least. And I had to load up this van, me and my buddy Kanga, Matt Robinson, I love the guy, but it, it was me and this guy that we were full of faith. Like, we were the two guys that, like, just loved to serve, and it just depleted me. Because I thought I deserved more. Like, I thought I was going to get more of Lungs' attention. Like, I've never told him this, so this is funny. I, 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 remember, I remember the first time we were at a university. We would do services at universities, and we were at UCID. And I went up and talked to him, and I was, like, trying to, you know, flex a little bit. I feel like to get his attention. I told him, I was like, yeah, like, the ministry I came from, we're having a conference, and, like, it'd be fun for you to speak at. And he was like, yeah, yeah, cool, and just walked away. <laughs> like, just completely ignored me. And so, again, what did my mind do? I don't think I ever got cynical towards lungs, I promise. But I think my mindset just shifted on the idea of where I was at. I began to get cynical about everyone that what they were doing was what they wanted to do based off their own interest. And so that's what cynicism is. And so uh, before I get, again, I, I know this message is really unorthodox. Just follow me. I'm going to get to a point. I just want to make sure... We're laying a foundation, I promise. I'm going to get somewhere. But I just want to give us a few 
uh, keys of what it is and how it affects us. Because again, when I read this passage I'm going to read, I really think with a foundation and idea of how it affects individuals, you're going to see actually how we can push it towards God. And so cynicism, what is the definition of being cynical? It means to have an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest. A cynic may have a general lack of faith or hope in people motivated by ambition, desire, greed, gratification, materialism, goals, opinions. Uh, a cynic uh, perceives uh, as vain or unobtainable or ultimately meaningless. And here's the thing, when Lungs and I were talking about this message, the thing that he was kind of talking about was that a cynic always finds a way to bring the downside to every conversation. They see the worst in everything. They turn even the best of news into the worst of news. And then again, I'm preaching to myself because that's, I feel like how I can communicate to you guys. But I begin to think about this. I remember we were driving back from a golf course when he was telling me this, and I was like, oh, God. Like, how often am I bringing bad news when someone tells me good news? How often was my mindset, uh, mind shift uh, turning away from encouraging that person about that news to rather uh, talking about how uh, negative my life is in that moment? And again, I go back to my college days and I remember some of my friends getting an opportunity to speak and rather than being excited for them and cheering them on and being in the front row and encouraging them, I would tell them, oh, man, why am I not getting the opportunity? They see me doing the same chairs you're doing. They, they see me, like, like when I tell you, every person on the chair team got an opportunity to speak except me. Like, I'm not joking. Like, and I would stay after, I'd work hard. I, I was a part of Powerhouse and I would, that was Friday nights, which, man, you're giving up your Friday night. My gosh, that's what these guys were doing out there. I'll never do that in my youth ministry. It won't work in America. It won't work with Friday night football and stuff. But I began to think about, man, how often in my life am I shifting away from being an encourager and I, am I bringing bad news? When someone tells me good news, am I the first one to cheer them on? When, when something goes wrong, am I, am I the first one to maybe just talk about something even worse in my life? Or do I want to encourage them? Do I want to pray for them? Because I think we can even flip it uh, even more with a cynic. I think sometimes what we can do as a Christian, the, the right thing would do when someone comes and tells us bad news, what we want to do is we want to encourage them. We want to build them up in faith. We want to see how we can champion them and help them. But what a cynic would do, they'd actually tell them something that's even worse in their life, even if it's actually not. Because what they would think as a cynic is that they're just telling me this because they have a motivation. They have a reason as to why they're telling this and they want something out of this conversation. Rather than them actually thinking, oh, maybe this person is coming to me and telling me this tough news that they have because they actually trust me. And they, 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 they want me to pray for them. They want me to maybe encourage them or they want me to be with them in that moment that they're going through, that season they're going through. But as a cynic, I would see that conversation. I would see that person come to me and I would think they're just telling me that because they want me to do something for them. I wouldn't see it as an opportunity to actually encourage them and build them up. And so the interesting thing too, as I was reading about cynicism, is that in a Christian context, cynicism appears as a collection of negative attitudes and expectations. These attitudes and these expectations may be directed towards ourselves or others, the church conversations you may have, the gospel's progress, growth and sanctification, and even towards God himself. And this is where it gets really dangerous is when it creeps into our Christian life. I think there, there's times when being cynical can be healthy when, when it's in terms of being logical. 
But when it creeps into our life and it does what this says, that these negative attitudes, this collection of expectations start breaking down. And rather than it actually coming at ourselves, now I'm I'm looking at it through a lens of other people. I'm looking at the lens of what the church is doing. Man, I have so many friends post-COVID and post kind of all the stuff that's gone on in the last three years that are so negative towards the church now. And, and again, I feel like I, I never really took that full step of being negative towards the church. I think there's, there's healthy areas of critiquing. There's healthy areas of calling the church to be better. But I think a lot of us, can. it's easy to turn cynical towards the church because they're not doing what we want them to do. We see, we see a very small, finite picture of what that pastor is doing 35 minutes rather than their 40 hours in a work week. Uh, we, we're not in the board meetings. We're not in the meetings they're having. And so we might see something that they do and we're judging them for it, thinking that they're doing it for a specific reason, but we don't know the bigger picture. And I think that's what wisdom and insight teaches us as well, what it's trying to address with cynicism. There's actually a bigger picture at play. I think when you become cynical, you look so small into what's going on in front of you that you can't, you can't actually see maybe why that person's come to you. You can't actually see why that person is doing what they're doing because all you see is the idea of what you think they're doing without even asking the question why they're doing it. Have you realized with cynicism that the cynical person stands from a distance and watches? The cynical person doesn't go up to the person and ask. You know, there's times to call someone out. Don't. I think there's times like, you know, especially as believers to like push each other to a higher level and push each other further in our walk with God. But that's not what a cynic does. What a cynic does is they watch from the tree. They, they watch from the high ground and they project their judgment on others without even asking the question why they're doing what they're doing. And we can look at verses and these verses stood out to me. Because it's 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians and Colossians. When you look at the theology of Paul, if you read the theology of Paul and all his letters, there's a few vital signs he talks about that are consistent throughout his letters that cynicism directly opposes. And those signs of Christianity, according to Paul, is first our faith in Jesus, love for all the saints, and hope in the beautiful awaiting of Jesus Christ's return. Faith in Jesus, love for the saints and the hope and awaiting for Jesus to return. But cynicism is polar opposite of that. Because when you're cynical, faith is no longer present. When you're cynical, you no longer have love for saints. And when you're cynical, there's no possible way you can have hope for Jesus returning because you think there's an ulterior motive for people trying to... You you watch those Instagram videos. I love... My favorite videos on Instagram is those people on streets like corners or universities where they're arguing Christianity with other people. And I think it's so unproductive because you're just screaming and yelling at each other. But I love watching it because it, it just... it I don't know. It just... I just love watching because I'm just like, oh my gosh, you could... You just love them. Like, you don't need to scream and yell at them that they're going to go rot in hell. Like, I don't understand the progress of that. But it, it goes completely against loving the saints. It goes completely against everyone around us. And so you look at Romans 14. It says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And so I think the issue with cynicism is that we're trying to fix cynicism. We're trying to fix this big picture that we don't even understand. But where I want to go with this passage that I'm now getting to the main point, I promise, is that we actually need to address the root issues. We need to go back like I did to when I was 18 years old and realize that there was actually two years of buildup, two years of disappointment, two years of frustration, two years of me not understanding of where I'm going. That led to me being cynical. Cynicism doesn't develop overnight. You don't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden you're cynical. And again, Kristen talked about disappointment last week and disappointment is a direct, uh, cynicism is a direct result of disappointment sometimes. In order to develop cynicism, you had to have gone through something that you didn't want to go through. You, you had to gone through disappointment. I'm going to stick with, there, there's lots of other issues, but I want to stick with disappointment because I think it's a lot of things that we think we can get over and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And for me, it was five years in the making and it took me moving out here and to hear a message from lungs for me to, or from Kristen and lungs for me to finally realize, oh my gosh, I was so cynical. It didn't just appear overnight. And there's this passage, man, there's so much more I want to preach, but I have no time. My gosh, I am skipping half my notes. I'm sorry. When you learn to preach from lungs, you just, you take, I'm, th I'm 30 minutes in, doc. How did I go 30 minutes in? I literally thought I had another 15 minutes, but I got five minutes. My gosh. <laughs> Jeez, I have so much more I want to preach. But there's a story in Genesis 18. 9 through 15. Sebastian, you can, you can put it up on the screen real quick. And again, when I read this passage, read it with me through the eyes of this foundation of cynicism I've laid. That there's been years of disappointment, that there's been, there's been frustrations that have appeared maybe in your life or just going based off my story. Read this story through that lens because it says in verse 9, they said to him, and this is the, the three angels of the Lord speaking to Abraham. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of a woman had ceased to be within Sarah. So Sarah laughed to, her, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child? Now that I am old, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. These angels appear to Abraham, and God gives her a promise. And what is her response? She laughs. Behind a door, which is even funnier if you actually think about it. She wasn't even in the room. She, she wasn't even facing the angels, uh, the angels of the Lord. She wasn't even doing it directly. She was doing it behind the door, thinking she could get away with it. But again, you can read that passage and not fully understand what's going on because you go back 25 years before this story takes place. And you go back to chapter 12. Uh, go this week and read 12, chapter 12 through 20. You'll see the story of Abraham and Moses. You go back... 25 years before this promise and you see that God and Abra uh, God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have all the land of the Can uh, Canaanites for their offspring you go you go in next chapter and a few uh, years later and you see that they get promised again that if they could count all the dust on the earth 
so too they could count their offspring. Then you go another chapter in a few uh, years more later, and they get another promise that if you look up in the heavens and you count all the stars, so too you'll be able to count your offspring. You see, Sarah, you actually now have a little bit more sympathy for her. Because it's been 25 years of promise, of promise, of promise, of promise. And you know what lies in between every promise? Years of disappointment. Years of trying to understand why God told me that if I could count the stars in the sky, so too I'll be able to count my offspring. But yet, 25 years later, I'm still not pregnant. And in Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't when they get their first promise, they're 75 years old? They're already 75 years old, so you just think of logically, like, the human body and how it works. Like, she ain't getting pregnant logically at 75 when she got her first promise. So pro probably if you, if you step into the story and you actually think about Sarah from her context, she probably thought the first promise was bogus. Because me and Abraham are past the age of even being able to do this. And then it goes years and she gets another promise and another promise and it's four or five promises in between this last promise. And you know what she does in between? She goes and gets her servant Hagar and she, she allows Abraham to marry him because they realize they're not going to be able to have a kid. So she goes and allows Abraham to uh, uh, have a kid with Hagar and they have a kid. And what does she do when, she ha when they have the kid? She kicks them out of the community. This is cynicism on full display. But again, I think I have such a, a grace and an understanding for her because I can't imagine waiting a promise 25 years long. I get frustrated waiting a month, let alone maybe even a whole service I get frustrated sometimes. God, why aren't you speaking to me? 25 years and my body's depleting and it's not making sense. And then finally when God gives her an ending, you realize in all the other promises, it, it was, he was telling them what was going to happen, but he wasn't telling them when it was going to happen. But then he tells them in this last promise that when I return this time next year, your wife Sarah will be pregnant and have a kid. There's light at the end of the tunnel for Sarah, for Sarah but her only response is to laugh. And I understand her laughing because it doesn't make sense. There's been so many promises and he's never fulfilled it. So why should I believe now? Why should I, why should I believe God in this moment so I'm just going to laugh him off? And then God's response says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Lungs and Kristen, I don't know if you guys were planning on coming back, but if you could, that would be amazing. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And I think there's a few ways this conversation could have gone. You know, I think God put his grace on display before we even saw the grace of Jesus. Very early on in the, the biblical story, we see God's grace because he could have easily been frustrated with Sarah and her response. How dare, you, how dare you respond this way when you've seen time and time again me come through in your life, yet the one thing that you can't get over, the one thing you've pushed aside, the one thing that you have been holding on to the most you laugh at when I tell you the final destination of this promise. When I finally tell you where and when this promise is going to come and, and you finally realize, man, uh, the, this nation that is going to come from me and my husband, the things that God is going to do through my children, not let, let alone what they're going to do through Abraham and Sarah, but what he's going to do through my children when you read the genealogy of this family line. 
And you see the promise he talks about, like, imagine God telling you if you could count the dust on earth. Like, there's, there's not a number to describe that. There's not a number to describe the amount of stars we have. And he gives them a promise, so they are probably unbelieving unbelie at first. And then he finally wraps it all up with, I'm going to give you this promise. He sends the three angels of the Lord, and he tells them, in a year from now, I'll be back at this appointed time, and you'll have a son. You see, cynicism spreads like a wildfire. Cynicism begins to creep into other people's lives. And I think this happened with Sarah. I think this happened uh, throughout the whole Old Testament story. One of the things I wanted to preach about was the Exodus story. You read the Exodus story from the time that they leave uh, uh, their, uh, their enslavement in Egypt to the point where they actually reach the promised land. It was cynical, cynical, cynical. The reason they built the golden calf was because they became cynical. The reason they, they began to uh, be frustrated with God about the manna and not having uh, meat instead of just bread was because they became cynical. They even asked the question, I'd rather actually be back in Egypt because they at least had meat in the pots. Cynicism spreads like wildfire. And I think what can happen is when we don't take full advantage of it and when we don't actually address it in our life, Cynicism can actually be tucked away as well. Just like disappointment, just like pride, just like anything we, we've talked about in this series, it's actually far more dangerous when cynicism gets put off others and actually gets put onto God. It actually gets scary for us when, yeah, we can be cynical towards each other and there's grace with that, but then when you start being cynical towards God, it's a whole other story. And so Lungs is just going to play. I don't know if you're going to sing Whatever you want to do, I don't really care. But here's where I want to go this morning. I don't know if we have, um, do we have the, uh, my goodness, what is the word? Communion. Do we have the communions? There's something powerful when we take communion that actually allows us to have a connection point with Jesus at the point where he forgave us for everything. And remember that moment where he forgave us for everything in the past, present, and the future, and we can bring that to him. When you read the New Testament, I think it's in James as well, it talks about the power of when you have sin in your life, and actually taking communion is the best thing you can do. And so I don't think being cynical is the worst sin you can have in your life, and I don't think it's the hardest thing you can overcome. But one of the things that I think is really hard for us is to actually admit that we're cynical. It, it took me, I'm 25 years old, and it took me seven years to actually understand that I was cynical. It, it wasn't something that, again, just popped up overnight. It was something that took me years and years of shoving things in the corner. And so what I want to do as Lungs plays is for all of us just to grab a communion cup and just have a personal moment with God. It doesn't need to, to be powerful with worship. It doesn't need to be a holy moment on, on the altar. It actually just needs to be a moment between you and God. Because I think when we can actually bring the issues we have to the feet of Jesus, when we can actually bring to light the sin we have in our life, when we can actually address and allow the Holy Spirit to bring wisdom, to bring insight and show the things that we need revealed. And I'm not saying everyone in this room is going to be dealing with cynicism, but if you are, ask for the Holy Spirit to speak. Ask for the Holy Spirit to move in your life and bring up 
the trigger points, bring up the things that I was talking about, that it wasn't just something that happened when I finally got to college. No, it was two years, five years of things that have happened. And when I finally addressed those issues, it allowed me to not be cynical anymore. I don't think you can just address cynicism and just break it right there. I think you need to go back to the reasons why you've become cynical. So ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that in your life. So Jesus, in this moment, would you do what you only you could do? Would your Holy Spirit move? Would you speak to us? Would you guide us? God, as we break the bread and partake in the cup, would we be reminded of your goodness? Would we be reminded of your forgiveness for us, God, and that we can come to you and we can bring to you the issues of the things we struggle with in your life, God, and you can bring perspective, you can bring grace, you can bring mercy. You don't come to us, God, in spite, but you come to us full of grace and full of mercy. So, God, for anyone in this room, God, that might be struggling with being cynical, God, in this moment, would you reveal your power to them? In Jesus' name, amen.